You're listening to the Littleton Sports Law Podcast. I'm your host, James Green. This episode is one of a number that Littleton has put out about the impact that COVID-19 is having on the world of sport and the legal issues that are being thrown up by these extraordinary times. The financial plight of various sports clubs has been making headlines, as have the wage cuts imposed upon, or refused by, some of the biggest stars. Today we're focusing on how sports clubs are dealing with the unprecedented financial challenges facing them, and in particular, how the government's furlough and insolvency schemes might apply to them. To discuss these issues, I have with me three members of Littleton Sports Law Group, Daniel Northall, Alexander Halbin, and Stuart Sanders. Stuart, if I turn to you first, what pressures are sports teams currently facing? Well, James, sports clubs are obviously right up there with hospitality businesses as being amongst the hardest hit. Um, Since the lockdown is is wiping out almost all of their revenue streams, they're not taking any match day income whatsoever, whether from ticket sales or any kind of concession sales. Their merchandising arms have, have all been hit without the product to support those sales if we look right down at grassroots level many community clubs are not getting subs from their players as matches don't happen Uh, and turning right to the top of the pyramid that there's still a lot of uncertainty as to whether television rights will be hit and if so by how much for for cricket football and rugby clubs We've therefore seen this immediate impact with even some of the world's biggest football clubs, such as Barcelona and Juventus, taking drastic measures in the form of wage cuts and freezes for their players. And the situation is rapidly reaching the same stage here in the UK, uh, with sports clubs across all sports starting to really be hit hard and needing to take action. Now, the article that you three have written focuses on some of the ways that clubs may seek to respond to such challenges, and one aspect you discuss is furloughing. Now, I'm sure that people's general familiarity with furloughing has gone up uh, quite a lot in the last few weeks. Daniel, perhaps you could provide a brief summary of furloughing and the government scheme for our listeners. Thanks, James. Now, furlough is shorthand for the government's coronavirus job retention scheme. It was announced on the 20th of March, and it was part of the government's effort to avoid basically economic catastrophe as businesses closed uh, due to the coronavirus pandemic. If employees are eligible, they're entitled to apply under the scheme for a government grant which covers 80% of the wage costs of furloughed employees, and that's up to a maximum of £2,500 per employee per month. And therefore, the scheme acts as an incentive to keep staff in employment. Now, in order to receive the grant, staff must be furloughed by the employer. And although they continue to be employed, they aren't allowed to work for the employer during the furlough period. Other than some brief online guidance, the detailed rules of the scheme aren't yet published. HMRC hopes the application portal will go live in the week commencing the 20th of April, or at least that's what we hear at present. Um, And therefore, employers have to undertake some pretty sophisticated workforce planning based on very little information. And are there particular elements of that scheme that might be problematic for sports clubs? The really big challenge comes from the £2,500 monthly cap on the grant, combined with the fact an employee can only be furloughed with their agreement. Now, £2,500 is a modest sum compared with the wages of most successful sports people. Compare that with the £60,000 per week average salary in the Premier League, and suddenly furlough doesn't look like an attractive proposition for them. 
The reality is that most sports people aren't going to agree to a massive cut in their wages when they know that, so long as they don't agree to being furloughed, they'll probably continue to get their contractual salary. That's why we've seen a number of stories in the media recently about clubs furloughing their lower paid staff but not their players. Another difficulty is that employees can't work for their employers whilst they're furloughed. Now there's a tension there between the enforced suspension of work which furlough entails and the need for players and athletes to continue to train regardless of whether there are any upcoming fixtures. Now take the example of footballers. If they continue to train at the direction of their clubs, that's likely to be something prohibited during furlough. Clubs won't want to risk their players losing their edge for when the season resumes. So that government guidance seems to leave the position uncertain. Stuart, do you think a club would be able to furlough its players and claim under the government scheme? The position's not entirely clear because we're really only working off HMRC guidance. And that guidance is itself uh, reflective of legislation which has, for rather obvious reasons, been hastily penned. Uh, we can see an argument that clubs could make that their players are employed to provide their services in competitive fixtures and that therefore the lockdown has meant that the players aren't in fact working or providing services to the club. We think that view is wrong, however, because in a day-to-day week, part of what a player's job would be would be to train and to perform strength and conditioning. Uh, And most clubs will expect their players to continue with those activities activities and and often will be providing players with structured training plans, nutrition plans, rehab plans if they're injured. Uh, So in circumstances in which players are performing those services and are performing at the instruction of the clubs, we think it's akin to uh, ordinary jobs in which people have to work from home and their job might have changed, but really they're still providing services. Therefore, we think that it's probably only those clubs lower down the pyramid for whom for whose players there's only a, a generalised expectation to stay fit that might be able to reclaim from the government scheme. Uh, but if if a structured plan is being provided, then the level of instruction does, in our view, uh, prevent that scheme from being engaged. Although, of course, it remains to be seen how exactly HMRC will seek to enforce or police any of those restrictions. I suppose we will have to wait to see how HMRC decides to police the scheme in due course. Now, we have heard a lot about furloughing in the media, but You also discussed the government's emergency and solvency law changes, which I imagine that most of our listeners may have heard a bit less about. Alex, I know that you have been considering these changes. Could you just give us a precy of what they are? Thanks, James. The government has announced emergency changes in two main areas of insolvency law. We haven't yet seen the legislation itself, so we don't know the details, only the broad outlines. First, there'll be a new moratorium for companies undergoing a rescue or restructuring process. While this is going on, creditors won't be able to put the company into administration. This will allow the company to continue to trade, to access supplies and to pay staff during the rescue process. This will probably operate in a similar way to the existing insolvency moratoriums. For instance, there is already a moratorium when a company goes into administration, which stops creditors bringing claims against the company without the court's permission, and allows the company some breathing space. 
but we don't yet know what kind of rescue process will count for this new emergency moratorium or how it will be triggered. The second change announced is a temporary suspension of wrongful trading laws, which will be made retrospective from the 1st of March. Wrongful trading laws normally mean that a director can be personally liable for trading a company while it is insolvent. Their suspension removes a real personal threat against directors so that they can be less cautious in making tough decisions on whether to continue to trade. The government has emphasised that all directors' duties remain in force during the suspension of wrongful trading laws. The directors must still act in good faith and reasonably in the interest of the company. And if the company is close to insolvency, the directors must still consider the interests of creditors in taking decisions. And how effective do you think such changes will be in easing the worries of struggling sports clubs? Well, this crisis has really shown that it's dangerous to make any firm predictions about the future. But my own opinion on these changes is this. At best, I think these changes will allow some sports clubs, which are still economically viable, to be restructured and avoid insolvency. Bank loans often include the right to put a club into administration, so this moratorium removes a real threat facing the club. And with that leeway, the club can still restructure its assets and debts while still trading. This will allow them also to pay their staff and players if they aren't already furloughed. The removal of personal liabilities for directors will also relieve many of their own worries and encourage them to take the best decisions for the club. However, no amount of breathing space will help if a club is simply unviable. At most, these changes might buy the club some more time so they could stave off insolvency for some more months. But if the restructuring fails to return the club to solvency, then it could still be put into administration after that. So overall, these changes will help in the short term, I think, but their real effectiveness would largely depend on the strength of the individual club. Alex, thank you. You've been listening to the Littleton Sports Law Podcast. I've had Daniel Northall, Alexander Halbin and Stuart Sanders with me today. This podcast was based on an article they have written together with David Reed QC called Sports Clubs in the Lurch, Considering the Eligibility of Players for the Government's Furlough Scheme, which can be found on the Littleton website, on the Littleton Twitter handle, at Littleton1, and on LinkedIn. There are also two other recent podcast episodes up, on the legal realities of an extension to the football season, and on the legal problems that come with deferring rather than cancelling sports events. So give those a listen if you're interested. Until next time, stay safe and goodbye.